What I like about SAS is that you're able to develop deeper relationships. They're more consistent. You can actually really solve people's problems over time. And there's more of a history that you can have with the customer that you serve. Welcome to Uptech Report. This is our Applied Tech series. Uptech Report is sponsored by TerraLeap. Learn how to leverage the power of video at terraleap.io. Today, I'm excited to be joined by my guest, Erica Wasser, who's based in New York. She's the co-founder and CEO of Prosper. Welcome, Erica. Good to have you on. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Now, Prosper is an employee management platform, or as actually we were chatting earlier, earlier, you're all focused on helping small businesses downsize their app solution and in this whole uh, frontline worker environment. Help me understand, what's the problem that you saw and, and set out to solve? So before founding Prosper, I was running a 14-chain uh, hair salon, <laughs> like a 14-store chain, uh, nearly 100 employees, and... The struggle was real. Um, you know, you get to a point where you're trying to manage all of these things and talk to the same group of people about all of these different moving parts in a retail service business. And everything is falling through the cracks. Nobody knows where to go for information. And people look at you dumbfounded, like, I don't know, nobody told me. Meanwhile, like, you sent it an email, you talked about it in the staff meeting, you like bought a Skywriter, put it in the sky. And so nobody seems to know what's going on. And so we kind of realized that there was this app fatigue happening across sophisticated businesses that were jerry-rigging um, point solutions, right? It's like scheduling might be over here and time and attendance was over there and learning happened here. And then, you know, document storage was there, but there was no consolidated way for someone who in a split second needed information to do their job better could actually access that information in a way that was going to impact them as an employee. And then managers were spent essentially juggling and managing all of these systems, which ultimately then become more challenging than the problems that they were brought into self. Um, and so I only know this after years of true abuse by way of managing people. <laughs> You felt it. You experienced it yourself when you tried to do. I mean, for five years, uh, it was called, I think it was called Glam and Go. Is that correct? That that you felt this pain of of, and I imagine in in the environment of frontline workers versus um, office workers, what's the turnover like? You're always constantly hiring new people, right? And 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 they're more hourly or contractor. Like, what's that? They're hourly, right? So they're that environment, how would you compare that to other types of, because we've looked at some other HR tech tools, we've talked to some folks, but how is it different then in like the frontline worker type of space? So you're dealing with a couple of unique challenges when you're trying to create a frontline employee app, right? One is that the bandwidth of these employees is limited, right? And the, you know, amount of bandwidth you can require as an employer um, has to be reasonable to what somebody is willing to get paid, right? And so you have a lot of businesses who are like, great, we want to pay you minimum wage and now download these seven tools. And like, that doesn't work. What? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And then you're wondering why people are jumping from job to job to job and not creating loyalty because they haven't been brought into the fold on anything. Mm. They're not a part of communication. There's really um, 
fragmented ways that people get information and highly political ways that people get information in these kinds of organizations, right? Like maybe on Thursday when the manager was explaining a new policy or procedure, they had a really great morning. But the group that worked on Friday, the coffee was too hot and he was late to work and his car is giving him a service thing. And so now all of a sudden that group of employees actually isn't getting the same fair shake at information or opportunities, Mm. right? And so when you have so much um, complexity in how information gets from top to bottom and then so much variance that some of which is controllable and some of which is not, creating a democratized source of truth really allows people to take their own initiative and to succeed. And when the, you know, the tide rises, the company does too. But take me back, 2018, mm-hmm. you're, you're still running Glam and Go. Did just one day you wake up and say, I, I got to fix this? I got to do something about this? What was, the, what was the process? So the process was before that. The process was actually in 2017. Oh. Um, I used to wake up every single day at 5 o'clock in the morning and sit there with a giant list and start texting my employees because we opened at 7 to figure out who wasn't coming to work. You were texting them individually. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I used to have this like giant sheet. I was, I was a pleasure. And <laughs> my co-founder in Prosper is in Berlin, five, six hours ahead. We met at a party after college, maintained like a decent friendship. You know, he was this cool European computer guy. <laughs> um I was in New York doing the hair thing and our friendship actually got rekindled at five o'clock in the morning on Facebook because I would go online to try to stay awake while I'm sitting here talking to all of these people to try to figure out who's not coming. And then Eric would always be online because for him, it was noon for him. It was lunch. And so finally he goes, you know, I've got to ask you, I, you know, I'm happy that we were talking again, but like, why are you always up at five in the morning? And so you explain your situation. And, and how, does, how does he react then? Uh, in typical Eric fashion, he went, okay, you do know things like Twilio exist. I'm like, obviously I don't. If I knew these things existed, do you think I would be up right now? And so then we really started diving into the challenges that we had at Clinton Go. And I believed that they were mine and mine alone right? That no other operator could be quite this miserable for be dealing with this amount of nonsense on a day-to-day basis, right? It must be that I didn't come out of business school or that I wasn't, you know, backed by big capital or that I didn't have any experience in a corporate environment. I just thought, okay, these just have to be that I'm an idiot. I'm the only idiot. And <laughs> that's the way it is. Um, and it wasn't until you know, my network and sort of clout started to rise and I got speaking opportunities and networking opportunities with other operators. I'm like, we'd be sitting at conferences, having drinks after the day and everyone was bitching about the same stuff. And it didn't matter if we were at an HBS or if we were backed by private equity or if we were me. Mm. If you were managing this type of employee group, you were having the same challenges. Right. And the aha moment was that it's not so much that I was bad at managing people, it's that people are really hard to manage. And especially this working group in retail service, operating businesses, 
that also have a customer facing aspect to them mm-hmm. where the stakes get so much higher for every single interaction, like every single piece of information that doesn't get to that cashier, that doesn't get to that service worker, that that front desk member doesn't know actually has a ripple effect to your bottom line because it's interacting with your customer. So you start to realize that these after hours and, and dinners and like, you have the problem, you have the problem, you have the problem. We all have this problem. You have a friend in Berlin who's a tech guy, and then you decided decide to get together and say, let's, let's solve it. So we had solved micro problems for Glam and Go. But like, so when he said, you know, Twilio exists, we actually did build like a call and response system. For your, for your specifically yeah. company, yeah. Correct. Um, and it was web-based and clunky and doesn't look or feel anything like what Prosper does. Um, but we built tools, internal tools, um, that we realized later on had really broad appeal. And so uh, much later, also on Facebook, I asked Eric to co-found the company. And first he told me no. He did, okay. It, was, it wasn't immediate. Yes, I want to... Does he have like a, a, a job at the time too? So it was like being able to jump ship... He just had gotten promoted to head of product at this really well-funded German startup. And he said, leave me alone. No, thanks. And it was just one of those things where like, I couldn't shower. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't like make coffee and not think about this thing, this thing that had to exist. And so then finally I said, all right, listen, I'm going to do it with or without you. So I don't want to hear about it when you see it. I'd much rather do it with you. And I don't know if you're a musical theater person, but I like to say he into the woods to me. He sent me on what he believed was a goose chase. <laughs> Thinking it would take me a year, I'd burn out, right? He said, okay, fine. You want me to do this? I need you to get a customer who's willing to pilot the MVP so that if I build something, we, there's someone to use it. Somebody who is not you that thinks this is a good idea. <laughs> Good business and advice. And $50,000, because that's what I think it's going to take to build the MVP. Okay. So you set to it. Three weeks later, I come back to him. Three weeks. We had Skin Laundry willing to be our first pilot customer, which is like a 25-store brand in um, the U.S., one in London, and a handful in Hong Kong. We had the now CEO of MindBody to validate the idea, who also became our first angel investor. Um, and I totally lied about the 50 grand. We never had it. <laughs> and I think he knew. <laughs> and we did kind of. <laughs> we had half of it. Right. But, but you're like, let's, let's, uh, let's get started. We have the money. We'll figure it out. <laughs> I, I, you basically fake it to your make in some ways, but you, you saw the need. You, you got validation. You got someone ready to do it. So you guys jump in. What year was this? Uh, what, what time frame is it this? Summer of 2018. And so then we got on a plane, went to Berlin, locked ourselves in his apartment, uh, and envisioned what the first MVP of Prosper might be. Um, First MVP kind of uh, from a web-based perspective was ready March, April of 19. 
Um, and our skin laundry pilot started just after that with our second pilot, uh, which was with Center Plate Sodexo at the Miami Beach Convention Center to start in September of 19. So we had two pilots. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of, that was it. Uh, I love it. It's like thinking back and then that was that we, we got it done. So basically you spend less, less than a year building the MVP. If I understood, if I got that correct, then you get your first pilots, two pilots are going on in, in April and September. And then um, we're coming up to uh, 19 and into 20. Do you just, do you get those pilots and you just start rolling it out? Is, is that, is that how it started? Well, I mean, it would have been, <laughs> and then yay covid there, there was a small flu-like symptom i don't know if you small heard thing. yeah <laughs> small small uh, thing yeah um so in november our first pilots turned paying and we're like awesome we're paying customers this is so exciting uh and at that time we were really primarily focused in the beauty space and selling into beauty in december it was like a non non-starter mm-hmm. uh, and so we said great q1 2020 we go to market. <laughs> that is the only appropriate response. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so we had gotten some traction and some things signed that were all supposed to actually hit in March. We were going out to raise an initial seed of 2 million. We were like 1.3, 1.35 of the way there. Um really going into early March and then COVID hits. Um, We got very, very lucky that our pre-seed investors um, did kind of bridge us versus like doing a real seed. And um, we went really insular into product, market fit, really being more thoughtful about what kinds of feedback were we getting when we did try to sell, right? What were the bottlenecks? Where were they? Um, tried to sell as much as we possibly could, but we are technology for in-person teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people in a space. <laughs> um, so basically you know, for the rest of 2020, it was more of an inward sell where you can, but focus on the product with the plan that once things opened up, we can scale. Yes. Correct. Right. Um, you know, take the customers that we did have, how do we make them happy? How do we keep that kind of moving in the right direction? When we had opportunities, we of course took them from a sales perspective. Um, and then one of the biggest changes we made was pre-21, Prosper was a one-size-fits-all solution where our kind of stance on the matter was you business owner who clearly doesn't know more about your business than we do. You might not know you need all of these tools, but you do, right? Which like nobody likes as like a sales psychologist, like nobody likes that. Uh, and so Prosper became modular uh, at the end of 20 into 21. And that change made all of the difference because we were able to become better partners to the businesses that we serve and be much more prescriptive in how we sell Right, because now it's not about look at the great things that we can do. It's tell me what your problems are. Mm. Right, you solve them where they are at that moment. Not saying now you need to just 
you need to solve everything all right now with all of our solutions. Yeah. Like what's keeping you up at night and do I have something that can solve for that? And there are times, you know, 90% of the time we do have something that can solve for that. 10% of the time I say, Hey, that isn't our expertise, but we have this quasi competitor over here that you should really take a look at. Mm -hmm. Right. And when you're trying to solve these other things, then you give me a call. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it really allowed us to, um, I think, live up to the kind of, I hate to keep using the word partner, but like our customers really are partners. Mm-hmm. And from your background, it's like you can, you, you just keep resonating. You understand their story and you you want to play that that role. For for the kind of going into the end of 2020 into twenty. 21 now i feel like things are opening up again how, how what was the the response then like what's what's been this last i don't know we're recording here in end of september so last nine months what's it been like i mean we've grown about five six hundred percent in 21 uh which and that momentum allowed us to go and raise a proper seed that we closed in august just about a month ago um which was like a surreal experience because we like, you know, everything kind of just came together mm. at the right time with like, you know, the people that we had dreamed of working with. So, you know, a real, like, I don't even want to jinx it because I don't know if it will ever happen to me again in my fundraising career. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, I think we're seeing a couple of things like one is that businesses are getting this opportunity to clean slate bad practices, mm-hmm. right? So rather than come back to the shit show that they were before, they are much more apt to say, okay, we've gotten this opportunity to kind of clean up our side of the street. Are there tools that can help me get to the outcomes that I want um, less manually or more easily? or faster, or easier, or cheaper, um, right? So you're seeing a lot of interest in tools like ours from operating businesses. Um, And then I think short staffing is certainly playing a key role in businesses needing ways to offer things like schedule flexibility and the ability to pick up more work and on-the-go learning and development versus like every Friday, you have to be here from 12 to 10, right? Like, um, you know, we're seeing the, we're seeing managers who may be had one or two stores now have to cover five. Mm. We're seeing employees who used to be assigned to one home location and only work in that location need to be cross-skilled, cross-trained, and more flexible across brand, right? So we're actually seeing more need for Prosper today than we did pre-COVID. Wow. Powerful insights right there. And I think everyone's has been seeing that the shortage of frontline workers in, in restaurants and different places you go. And, but the challenge as a business owner, I can only imagine an operator of these, what pulling your hairs out. How do you manage that? What for you, this is your second business you've run. You mentioned the, the first one, um, Glam and Go. Did you, did you raise any funds for that at all? How, how did, how did you accomplish that? And how is that compared to this? Um, so we raised a small amount of money in 2015, just about a year after we had started. 
Um, it was a service business. It's a brick and mortar business. You know, it's not one that gets venture capitalists particularly excited. <laughs> um, you know, and it's not necessarily a business that warranted, right, that kind of trajectory. Um, did you see yourself uh, one day being a tech uh, company leader? I mean, did, did this you wanted to or just kind of just falling into it? So there was a time. About halfway through the Glamnico experience, I knew that I wasn't going to do it forever. I didn't know what I was going to do next, but I knew that the next thing that I did had to have three qualities. One was ability to scale really rapidly, really quickly without me having to like be on a plane every other week, right? Like I didn't want physical locations. The second is that I actually did not want to be in a service business, like your retail business, right? Like get cursed out by a 13 year old because she doesn't like her hair on her bat mitzvah. Like once that's a once in a lifetime thing that I am willing to put up with. <laughs> Got it. You're like done. I've, I've received that. I don't need to make that happen again. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure the next one will be my own child, but like, (laughs) Um, right. And the third is that I wanted to, um, I wanted to grow in my own capacity and skill sets, right? Like I wanted to learn something new. And so Prosper really checks all of those boxes of like having really high quality people around me that I can work with and learn from that are way smarter than me all of the time, right? That I can, we can build something. And like, we have customers in Australia, we have customers in New York, we have customers in, right? Um, Everyone between. And, uh, you know, my whole life for the most part is operated by SaaS businesses. All around us, (laughs) around you, yep. So- Uh, why not? Why not be able to get into it? So uh, now you're really at just the beginning of your 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 adventure here. Um, it's just the, the two of you right now still. You're about to scale up team-wise. Is that correct? Okay. Um, two of us and then one in customer success. Okay. Got it. Two of you in customer success. It's kind of early to ask, but curious, what would you share as far as learnings coming from a service business to a SaaS business? For other entrepreneurs out there who are thinking about similar going from going to from service to SaaS, any lessons learned? You're like, here's a word of wisdom. Service to SaaS. Um, so if someone is really trying to go from service to SaaS to get out of the idea of being in service, then they shouldn't do this either. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay, why? Why do you say that? What you ultimately find is that as a business, if you're providing a value to a customer who's paying you, you are always in service to someone, right? So we are still ingratiatingly in service to our customers. And it is a different kind of service, right? Like, so what I like about SaaS is that you're able to develop deeper relationships. They're more consistent. You can actually really solve people's problems over time. And there's more of a history that you can have with the customer that you serve, uh, versus, you know, the one off Rebecca Blumenthal 
in Miami Beach. <laughs> um, right. And, to, and it's a different kind of service, right? Because they're really, they're not coming to you to bitch. They're coming to you to actually creatively problem solve together. And so it's a very different kind of servitude, but we are cer- most certainly still a service business. Yeah. Yeah. What are you most excited about looking ahead from here? Anything you can share in the roadmap? Like what's coming up? Um, we're really excited that we're working with a workforce that has been somewhat underserved by tech over time, right? There isn't a ton of focus on how do we make the day-to-day life of hourly workforces and 80% of the global workforce, how do we make their lives better? Mm-hmm. Um, and so to be on the frontier of what could ultimately lead to so much good mm-hmm. is really, really exciting. You guys are, are focused on small and mid-size, um, not to say enterprise, is that correct? So it's really more mid-market, small enterprise. So any so businesses that kind of anywhere from 50 employees to, you know, 1,000, 2,000, right? Yeah. Where they are not quite um, large enough to play in like the workday sandbox, but they are too large and too complex to have fragmented tech stacks that don't work. Mm-hmm. That's where you're finding your, your sweet spot of, of being able to, to serve right. that. Too big for point solutions, too small for HCM. Where would you say, if you were to imagine where the space is headed technology-wise, make a prediction in five years for frontline workers, what's the technology going to look like? Prosper. <laughs> I love you like, that's an easy part. <laughs> but imagine, like, walk me through like a day in a life. Like what, what, what's, gonna, what's it going to look like five, 10 years from now? Is, is it? Um, five, 10 years from now, I think... I think you're going to see a lot, a more leveled playing field in terms of respect for all people and the work that they do, which is sort of our mission and value driver at Prosper, right? Respect for the work all people do. And how do we um, elevate what has historically been like, oh, well, they're just flipping. And like, but that's not true. Actually, they're opening the store, they're greeting the customer, they're setting the atmosphere, they're making sure the place is burned down, they're relaying real-time issues that are affecting how you operate your company and how you derive revenue, right? Like the only barrier between the customer giving you money is this person that you are choosing to ignore. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I can sense the passion in your voice. <laughs> very topic. So it sounds like that that's one of your, your founding uh, m- mindsets uh, going into this. You know, it's how do you create productivity suites for, um, you know, I hate the term knowledge worker because it sounds so douchey to me, right? But like it really does like, because knowledge is just something that your brain has to retain and then execute on. And so, right. If you put me behind a Starbucks barista, and you told me to make like some mock, I couldn't do it. Right. But like, that's knowledge that somebody else has that I don't. Um, right. But I think it's going to be a, a reckoning of how do we really actually like, what do we owe each other? <laughs> kind of a question. And I think what you're already seeing is that the workforce is going to win because they are the boss, right? Like if they don't want to show up, because they're collectively saying these aren't 
wages we're going to subscribe to, or these aren't hours that we're going to be cool with, or these are not conditions that we're going to um, participate in. Mm-hmm. Good luck, right? Like you, good luck. <laughs> good, good luck. That that. If anything, I think the whole workforce has changed for sure. Of, um, even listen, the fact that they're getting younger and like arguably more entitled, I'm sure, <laughs> has something to do with it. Yeah, the, the, there's there's lots of buzzwords, of course, of you know the the gig economy, etc. But it's like, how are we categorizing catering so that if almost as employers, uh, you see your employees as consumers, you serve them with the same technology and, and forethought as you would a consumer to, to support them um, in that mindset. Hmm. This has been a fascinating conversation. I'm fascinated with where you are headed. The problem that you're solving is an absolutely needed one. You, you faced it, you're experiencing it, and I'm intrigued to see where you guys go next. For those that want to learn more, you can head over to Prosper. That's P-R-O-S-P-R. Yes. dot work hey how, how was getting that url is that a uh like let's take out a f- letters like how the name come out and, and and your symbol also is the uh, for those that are listening uh, it's spock symbol here of a uh, piece so a uh, couple of interesting things is that this is technically fair use because vulcan is part of the webster's dictionary and so when vulcan as a language was indoctrinated into the dictionary the, oh my God. Fair but, use. Actually, Star Trek didn't come up with this. This is like an ancient Jewish Kohan symbol that the guy who plays Spock actually pulled from. I know more about this than I ever should. <laughs> uh, but you, it, you, it, it is definitely recognizable. I love that you got it. So again, prosper.work. And thank you again for your time, Erica. This has been fantastic. No, thank you. And we'll see you all on the next episode of Uptech Report. Have you seen a company using AI, machine learning, or other technology to transform the way we live, work, and do business? Go to uptechreport.com and let us know.